This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Lance Secretan, the author of a new book entitled The Bellwether Effect. Please listen to Greg's interview with Dr. Secretan on podcast number 678. One in two employees are unhappy with their job, and two-thirds of employees are disengaged at work. In this podcast, Dr. Secretan explains what is contributing to these alarming statistics and what can be done to reduce and eliminate them. In The Bellwether Effect, Dr. Secretan proposes a theory that explains how and why leaders are attracted to and seduced by trendy ideas and the process by which these ideas then become mainstream. Greg's interview with Dr. Lance Secretan is engaging, informative, and hopeful for the future of employees, leaders, and the corporations that employ them. Please listen to podcast number 678 with Dr. Lance Secretan on his new book, The Bellwether Effect. For more information, please visit www.secretan, that's spelt S-E-C-R-E-T-A-N dot com backslash The Bellwether Effect. And thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And David, as I do every time I come on one of these shows, I have to thank the listeners because it's amazing. They're coming from all over now. We are on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We are on Google Music. We are on Google Podcasts. We're on so many platforms and um, SoundCloud, and it's just making a huge difference. And thank you all for connecting with us. And today joining me from San Francisco, California, is David Sibbett. And David and his wife, Gisela, is it Windling? Is that correct? Windling. Windling. It's a nice Windling, German yeah. name. Uh, mm-hmm. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I'm Bishop. Yeah. So they wrote this book called Visual Consulting, and it is the fourth book in a series of books that Wiley has actually published around a a topic that I have huge interest in and have really worked with my clients quite a bit on. And I think for anyone listening, whether you're a consultant who doesn't use this or you're a business person who has your own company, you really need to listen closely uh, because we have... I would say one of the fathers of graphic facilitation and visual consulting on the line with us, and that's David Sibbett. Good day to you, David. Good morning. Appreciate you being on, and I'm going to tell our listeners a bit about you. He is a world leader in visual facilitation and process leadership. He is the founder and CEO of the Grove Consultants International, and it's known globally for creating leading-edge process, consulting tools for visualization, team performance, strategic visioning, and organizational transformation. And his wife, as well, is a partner in that business. And this book, as I said, is the fourth in the series. And it is designed really for somebody who wants to learn kind of in-depth this whole concept of visual consulting. And David, as this being the fourth in the series, you did three other ones called visual meetings, visual teams, visual leaders, and now visual consulting. You mentioned that you're integrating three fields of practice in your concept for visual consulting. If you would, for our listeners, can you comment on those three fields and the importance of their integration into this particular book? Sure. 
Well, as you noted, I've been involved with the visual facilitation field for a long time, since the 70s, and uh, was really part of a group of people professionalizing facilitation for business and other organizations during that time. And, of course, we were very lucky to be near Silicon Valley, did a lot of work in, in that area. They were very receptive, and it grew. And as technology caught up um, with digital cameras and laser printers and all of those things, which were not there when we started, uh, this way of working has started to really explode. And now in Europe, um, it's going like wildfire. Uh, one of our colleagues over there in Hamburg, Matthias Weitbrecht, who's featured in the book, uh, counted over 200 websites in Germany alone of people who were talking about scribing and that kind of thing. So the visual facilitation field is one of the disciplines. Uh, the second is dialogue, uh, dialogue practices, uh, working with people on conversations that matter, really structuring settings where people can engage deeply with one another, uh, paying attention to the inner processes um, and the way in which uh, social systems interact with people. And Gisela uh, is a PhD in human systems from fielding. And actually, I met her uh, back in 2008 when she was wondering if I wanted to come up and teach her master's in organizational development program at Sonoma State University. And I wasn't quite ready to do that at the time, but we just formed a really fast friendship. And when my wife passed away several years ago, she was very supportive. And in the whole process, we fell in love and got married. Uh, so she now works Winter Grove, and we started working together, uh, really blending really excellent facilitation and dialogue practices with the visual facilitation work that I was doing. And one of the colleagues who you know, Greg, Alan Briskin, was one of the first to kind of say, you know, you guys are really working an edge here in this field in marrying dialogue and visual practice uh, so completely. Uh, and we began teaching a designing and leading change workshop three days where we integrated the Grove's uh, organization change model, which, of course, any consultant has to have a way of thinking about change work over time, with uh, Gisela's liminal pathways framework, which she did extensive research on during her PhD work. Uh, basically, it outlines the archetypal pattern that's under all rites of passages, and it applies really to change in general. And the way people responded in this workshop to this led us to integrating those two in a new seven models, the seven challenges of change model, which brings in kind of the third discipline. It's the first is visual facilitation, the second is uh, dialogue. The third is really, uh, we're calling it change work. It's not exactly change management, which has to do more with how you do transitions and all that kind of thing within organizations. The change work we're talking about is more transformational change work. And right. change right. work requires working over a whole series of meetings, usually for long, long periods of time. And it's a discipline unto itself. And we realized that putting these three together is really what we mean by visual consulting. 
Well, and the subtitle you, is called Designing and Leading Change. So the whole book is really focused on how you apply all this to change. Yeah, you, you use in the book, and for my listeners, you can't see the visual. The book is extremely visual with lots of stories, success stories they've had as visual consultants. And I think, you know, you use three concentric circles in this book, and the words are change, dialogue, and visualization in them. And I'd like to have you comment on these visual consulting concepts in your work with, in particular, you used, you did quite a few um, case studies, let's call them. There's one, there's California Roundtable on water and food supply. And that was one of the first ones in the book. And I think just to give the, the, the listeners some kind of idea as to the evolution that has to occur as you do this kind of work with the client. Would you be willing to mm -hmm. kind of frame that up a bit? Yeah. We picked that story because it's not a story about um, working primarily as a graphic facilitator. It's really a story about doing dialogue with a very high-level group of people in California who are concerned about water. These are government agency people, ranchers, people in water districts and things like that. And Gisela was working for the Ag, Ag Innovations, uh, an organization that was sponsoring these kinds of things, and over several years facilitated this group completely agreeing on a new paradigm of thinking about water management in California. It, the, the basic shift that occurred was uh, a history of looking at water kind of by sector, like uh, here's agriculture use of water, then there's urban use of water, and then there's then later on people began to concern about the environment and the salmon and things like that, use of water. And so the special interests often would work kind of in some ways competing with each other to get policies that would manage water. And over the course of the two years they realized that these individual benefits to the different sectors really weren't nearly as important as working toward mm, combined benefits or mutual benefits for the whole ecosystem, where all three of those uh, interests are considered together in, in a more systemic approach. Well, in getting them to talk about this, they would discuss these ideas and, and Gisela would feed back to them using PowerPoint diagrams of what they were talking about. And for several iterations, they had uh, the human system's use of water separated from the ecosystem diagrammatically. They showed them as two separate elements. And several of the people on, in the group pointed out, you know, this is really not the right way to look at it. You've really got to have the human systems are part of the ecosystem. So just by taking uh, the three circles for the three interests, and putting them inside a bigger circle that represents the ecosystem. Visually, you've got a diagram that says what those words say. It, these special interests are embedded in one whole system and that working for, for mutual benefit is a superior kind of orientation. Yeah. This book, this it, it, booklet it, that they published has now been widely spread within the water community and the success of that started leading this group to then tackle groundwater in the same way. How can groundwater be managed with mutual benefit in mind? So it's such a beautiful example of how 
taking, and basically they needed a, a diagram or graphic of their central ideas, that going through versions of this supported the, deep, the deeper dialogue. It's, it's a great um, story that you tell and you lead the book off because it kind of sets the framework for even the rest of the book as well. Now, you mentioned in Chapter 2 that there are three types of change that a consultant might be engaged in to help their clients with. And they are developmental mm-hmm. change, volitional change, and situational change. Um, and I think any of consultants out there that are listening, that are thinking about getting into visual consulting and purchasing this book and understanding more, there's lots of resources out there. You can go to the Grove and get this. Um, we'll put links to this on Amazon. But can you comment on these three distinctive different change initiatives and how you might use visual consulting to resolve our clients' issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, developmental change is like when a teenager becomes an adult or a toddler becomes a, you know, a kid that can walk around. I mean, this is developmental. And in organizations, you have developmental change often where a startup really then needs to shift to being more of a growth organization. And these developmental changes are kind of coming from within the growth needs of the system itself. So just at the personal level, one example is the Grove has produced a, a workbook called the Personal Compass, which is an adaptation of our strategic visioning uh, visual templates that we use and walks you through being able to self-examine, you know, what are the things surrounding you that are driving your interests, uh, what's your vision of what you want to do, what resources are you bringing, what kind of choices do you have about going forward in your career and life. And it's a workbook that you go through visually, and many, many, many people have been using it. That's just one example of developmental. At the organizational level, uh, one of the key things that a consultant who works on developmental change benefits from is understanding some of the well-known developmental models that give you a visual picture of how things happen. Uh, At UC Merced, uh, we use the little S-curve, which is a very well-known thing, showing how organizations often go from startup to growth to mature. And by the insight from Gizmo's Liminal Pathways work is that the the shift, the move from startup to growth actually isn't a smooth line, even though you could draw it that way. It's actually a period of turbulence and uncertainty and loss of identity. And this is true of any change as you go through what we call liminal phase or, or threshold phase. And you're not the old, you're not the new. And this little story of, you know, going from growth through turbulence I mean, going through startup and some turbulence to get to growth ended up framing the work that UC said, which has to double in size, really developmentally. It's, it's being pushed by the economics of that size of an institution. And we were able to say, look, we're feeling uncertain. We're feeling all stirred up. This is great. This is exactly what happens when you move from one cultural state to another. And people really found that that was helpful. Basically, basically you know, saying going through confusion is a normal thing. So let's have these meetings and have these conversations. And get with us. That's developmental. Uh, 
uh, volitional, it's interesting when we were over in Europe, Greg, uh, they didn't, that word was not clear to people what it means. But volitional means you've chosen to do it. It's voluntary. Um, that, you know, an organization often will change its strategy based on interests of the leaders or interests of the organization. They want to go to a new market. They want to uh, do a new product. Um, volitional change is driven by a vision of what's possible. Um, sometimes it's driven by things not working very well and you have to improve things. And then the third is situational where something happens externally and you didn't really choose it. It's coming at you, but you're going to have to change to deal with it. Um, in the client we're currently working with, the University of California, San Francisco, their clinical uh, translational science institute, which uh, oversees many, many, many clinical trials, around new approaches to medicine and, and things like that um, has experiencing a pretty significant reduction in funding. Um, I think in general, funding for basic science is kind of being, is receding, it's being pulled back right now. And so this is a situational challenge, which the leader is using as a good reason to take a look at the whole institute and what they're doing and tuning things up. And it's not a crisis in their case because uh, the University of California, San Francisco, has got resources, but it's a shift from the way they used to do things. It was circumstantial. And uh, many, many communities, many organizations right now are facing big circumstantial changes. I'm, I'm Right now, that the air up here is extremely smoky because there's a huge campfire over in Chico across the valley that has gone in like six hours, uh, jumped from nothing to 20,000 acres. Uh, wow. It's just so dry, a... dry there. And the wildfires, the water, the climate change challenges, uh, rising sea levels, these things, there is not... Uh, an institution around that isn't going to be facing situational change stemming from these kinds of forces. So those are the three kinds. Yeah, the environmental forces in particular, we, you and I were talking about Matthew Fox's um, uh, Sacred Order of the Earth, which I want to highly recommend any of you looking for a great podcast, uh, listen to that one with uh, Matthew Fox. Now you reference uh, three types of consulting. You called it the mm -hmm. expert consulting model the doctor-patient model, the pair-of-hands model, and the process consultant model. Um, mm -hmm. For somebody, again, who hopefully we're reaching the people who have a desire to dig into this kind of work, I will tell you it will change your life. It will change how quickly you can get things done in your business. But can mm -hmm. you comment on these three models and the differences between those three models and then we're going to go sure. to the liminal pathways change framework and the seven changes, uh, seven challenges of change, which I think mm -hmm. that seven challenges of change is really, really, really critical to this interview. So if you comment mm -hmm. on those three, that would be great. Or four. Well, this is a uh, kind of an evolution of uh, point of view first put forward by Ed Shine back in the 60s when he defined process consulting. So traditionally, consulting was expert consulting where the client has 
a need for something, finds an expert, the expert comes in and suggests what they should do. The doctor-patient is a variation on that where you actually ask the expert to also diagnose what you need and tell you what to do. And um, there are, you know, risks and benefits of that kind of way of approaching things. So many times I'm considered an expert in visual processes, and I come in and interface with a client around, you know, what are our choices uh, for running a meeting visually or running a process visually. The, the process consulting approach is where the client has a challenge and a need but wants to figure it out itself but really wants support in running meetings and doing interviews and other things that help them find out what the resources within the system are that they can kind of collaboratively figure out how to do this together. So they're not looking to the consultant to be the expert to tell them what to do, but to create an environment where they can work on it themselves. And then the pair of hands model was added by Peter Block uh, a little bit later who wrote Flawless Consulting, which is kind of a go-to book for anybody wanting to know about consulting. Pair of hands is where you know, an organization has something they want to do, and they hire you to do it. And um, they're not asking for you to tell them what to do. They're basically, you're contracting with them. And this part of consulting has really grown quite a bit as organizations have depended more and more on contract workers. Well, so, I love the identifications uh, that you've put on each of these processes. And I would say that the process consultant and the pair of hands model is probably the uh, most more used ones today. Yeah. Um, the expert model has kind of gone by the wayside. I'm not saying it's oh, gone. Except for the big firms. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, the doctor-patient model, again, kind of falls in line with that. But, you know, in your chapter on capabilities you'll need uh, to discuss two frameworks. Um, mm -hmm. One is this one you just talked about, Gisela, and the liminal pathways change framework. And two, the seven challenges of change, which I found that diagram to be really very, very eye-opening for me. Um, what do these models help the consultant to reveal to their clients moving through the transformational process? I'd say, let's talk about it from the difference. I just interviewed Judy Neal and her opus work, which was, um, it was called the handbook of, of, of personal and organizational transformation. There's a clear mm -hmm. definition between change and transformation. And that book is 680 pages. And I was really, really enlightened by um, the, how this was, because it's a research book. It's a research yeah. background between people like Ken Wilber, who've gone and done lines and levels and colors. And, you know, we look Richard Barrett in the, in the looking at the levels that we're talking about here. But in your case, what are these... Um, how do you tell a consultant or help a consultant utilize these liminal pathways change framework and the seven changes to help their clients move through the transformation? This podcast is brought to you by Simon Vetter, one of the authors of Leading with Vision, the leader's blueprint for creating a compelling vision and engaging the workforce. Please listen to podcast number 681 with Simon and Greg as they discuss how to emotionally engage the new, younger workforce, shape a high-performing culture, 
and create a business strategy to disrupt your industry. Simon Vetter is an expert on leadership development and behavioral change. With over 20 years of experience in executive education, he has coached and trained leaders from Adobe, Cisco, Dell, Microsoft, Siemens, and many other companies. Learn from Simon what it takes to develop and implement a compelling vision. Please visit the book website at www.leadingwithvisionbook.com. Thank you for listening. Well, it's interesting doing this verbally on a uh, podcast because the reason for visualizing models like this is so that you can think about the forest and the trees at the same time. And, you know, graphic representation is the sense mode we use to think about systems and how parts of a system relate to one another. So in a change process, the essence of it is something happening over time. And then you want to understand, are there phases in that? And what are some of the characteristics of those phases? So the liminal pathways is a very simple model. It's got three phases. And the pattern over those phases is the person going through change starts separating from the old in various ways, either circumstances separate you or it's a developmental separation or uh, you're deciding you want to separate. And then you go into a liminal stage, which is the middle stage, where you begin to sink into the issue that you're dealing with. And there's where the ambiguity and loss of identity and confusion, all these kind of things. So I do vision quests often going out into nature and spending a couple of days alone and fasting as a way of kind of getting oriented. And um, it's a challenge and it's, it's kind of confusing. So we show graphically uh, a set of a line that goes at the top of the page and then arcs down toward the bottom of the page in this liminal phase. And then as you go into the third phase, it comes back up and out, which is the integration phase. Well, this is a very, very, very archetypal pattern of you go down and get involved with whatever it is you're working on, struggling, feeling constraints, and then you have breakthroughs where you figure out what's happening and you you kind of regain some freedom and movement. So practically showing this as a down and up pattern is very common. I mean, you've probably heard of theory U. It shows the down and up pattern. Um, but in Gisela's research, she realized that in rites of passages in communities that do this and support change, there's also uh, a strand of attention to the outer structures that support the person or the group that's going through change. So we show this as a blue line that starts at the bottom during separation because it's not that active at that point. You don't need a lot of support to separating some. But during the liminal phase, it comes up and over uh, to support the, the change people going through that process confidently and then comes back down. So what you get is kind of a DNA image. And the middle part looks like a kind of a circle where the two strands, we, we show them as beads, blue beads and red beads, um, and we labeled that metaphorically the crucible. Uh, it's, it's the place where you recombine elements in order to come out with something new. We also 
have a version of that where we show the caterpillar becoming a chrysalis, becoming a butterfly. And the chrysalis is a is a kind of crucible for the biology of the butterfly. Or the... So visually, this picture allows you to see, oh, separation, liminality, integration. It's not complicated. People remember it. The down and the up, the, the need for the supportive structures, uh, the outer supportive structures and the inner dynamics. Well, the more we did designing and leading change, we people responded so much to this particular model and also needed to think about it in a more complex way when you're doing transformational change in an organization. We realized that this down and up pattern, which is uh, a key pattern in the theory of process that the Grove is based on, which is that you know you begin most processes with all kinds of things being possible, and then you engage with the issue and all kinds of constraints show up, and it feels like you're descending into you know a bunch of constraints. Some people call that a pinch point or the crunch point in a process. And then you master those and you regain the freedom. We ended up showing this down and up pattern again and broke it into seven stages uh, because behind the down and up pattern is another structure that the Grove uses to train facilitators, which is the four flows model. And this is basically saying visually uh, human beings actually work on four different levels. Uh, where different rules and language and ways of operating apply. And in simple terms, it's at the bottom line is your body at the physical level. Then you've got your mind and thinking about information and symbols. And then you have your feelings and your emotion. And then you are a spiritual being and can process light and have illuminations and visions and all kinds of things. These four are very different, but putting the the attentional consciousness level at the top graphically and the body physical level at the bottom maps onto the way most humans orient to the world. They're standing up, the cosmos is up, the ground is down. So as we look at that chase model, seven steps over time, going down and going up, we realize that each one of them is a little rite of passage in some ways. And so we took the blue and the red uh, strands of beads that were in the liminal pathways model and made it go through the seven challenges. And so the first challenge of uh, activating awareness uh, has an inner process that people go through and their outer support structures that consultants, visual consultants can use to support activating awareness. The same thing around the next step, which is engaging the the change leaders and forming design teams and kind of an initial group that can galvanize the change process. They go through something and they need the support. So often the first meetings are little crucibles for them. You know, are we really stepping up to this? Are we really going to take our organization through this kind of change? Then if they come out and integrate that, you go back into it again around all of the design thinking, planning, ideation, creativity that's required to imagine what's possible, to come up with a vision of where you might be heading, what kinds of things need to change. And it's very, uh, very much like an artist doing lots of different sketches and things. Yeah. Again, well, you, you can have big, 
you know, we took these humorous heads and all the staff, 200 people, and had them collectively imagining the future of their university using tabletop templates. So the seven challenges uh, outlined very specifically what the inner dynamics are of each of those seven and the outer support structures for each of the seven. And well, the seven challenges, really seven yeah, challenges model is certainly, uh, in my estimation, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, we'll call it seminal work, but it's certainly an opportunity for somebody who's not been involved in this kind of work to see what you actually have to, uh, how do you want to again, navigate your clients through? And, you know, yes. in, in part two of your book entitled Visualizing Change, Helping Clients to Look Ahead, you discuss the specific kinds of practices that we might find ourselves in during a visual consulting process. Mm -hmm. um, and you profiled the University of Merced, because we've talked about it before in this change initiative, to illustrate your point. What insights would you give our listeners or share with them uh, about how to help a client visualize, and I want to emphasize that word change. Um, I think mm -hmm. so many people see them going through change. They don't really know how to visualize it, David. What do you do or what would a consultant out there who's listening and thinking about do, doing yeah. this help somebody visualize change? Mm -hmm. uh, well, there, we've done many, many, many um, what we call story maps at the Grove, which are very large murals that leaders can stand in front of and tell a story about what's happening. A lot of what allows human beings to change, uh, and this comes out of uh, this dialogic study. There's a wonderful new book by Gervasey Bush and, and Bob Marshak called Dialogic OD, or Dialogic Organizational Development, which is looking at what all the new developments in organizational development are, World Cafe, Art of Presence, Saying Theory, all these things. What are they doing? What they're doing is they are disrupting the old stories, the old narratives that kind of allow people to see how things work and helping and providing a safe place for people through social construction, really, uh, to develop a new story, a new narrative. And the visual way of doing it is to have what amounts to uh, an integrated storyboard that allows leaders to tell a new narrative. So we think that there are three aspects to those visuals. Um, one is the response to the why change question. You know, what are the drivers of change? So often on these change murals, we'll have a left-hand side which shows what's really driving it. Is it situational, developmental, or circumstantial, uh, circumstantial situational? What's, what's, what are the drivers? Then people also want to know where they're going to go. What's the vision of a, a future state? And this is often visualized on the right side as some kind of an image of a future state. In the UC Merced case, it shows the new campus as a picture, and above it is a spiral of different things that they want to have UC Merced represent in the future. And that image of the spiral, at one point we had it looking like a sunburst. And the chancellor, in the process of working through this with the cabinet, 
said, you know, I really don't like the, the way you visualized it there. It looks kind of too mechanical. It looked, it, it did look kind of like a bicycle wheel. She says, well, it, it's actually more fluid. And she's a phenomenologist by training. She says, why not a spiral? And so in the Gusey Merced case, the vision above the campus is like a, a spiral coming out, almost like a vortex. It's really a beautiful uh, synthesis of the image that actually came out as they were telling their new story. And then the third piece is in between uh, why change and where we're going is how are we going to get there? And leaders need to be able to tell a plausible story about how they're going to get from one side to the other. So uh, in the case of these large vision murals, you actually can show uh, different initiatives that are being started to, to move things or characterize the, the nature of the organization that's going to be moving that way through some kind of metaphor. Um, so we found that the development of these large story maps that tell a new narrative require many different meetings to get everybody to agree on it. Uh, one example would be a, a more business example is we recently summarized um, Autodesk's vision on one image, one picture that was their transition from being um, a company that was very good at, at selling box software and different kinds of applications for architects and designers and everything to the cloud-based services. Many of these high-tech companies are going through this kind of transition. And through several meetings with top leaders, we had them share what their vision was. And of course, they had very, very wonderful dialogues about that during these meetings. We then began creating instances of the graphic. And once the base idea stabilized, um, they were internally able to do, I think they did 13 versions of it. So every single word and every single little graphic on this picture was worked on so that it would tell a story. And they then actually did make it clickable so that you could go in and click on one of the images and everything else and drill down to the information and ideas that were giving rise to that image. So we're finding that supporting the emergence of new narratives with really beautiful, well-developed graphics that have had many, many conversations is a wonderful way to get people aligned on a new story and it provides what, I mean, we're using uh, yet another metaphor for this crucible, a container for going through that uncertain period and change. So while when people have these drafts, these visual images, um, it really helps. The, the leaders, leaders telling the story to people is what actually creates the change. These visuals are really props that help them do it in a much more impactful way. And they also are a process that provides a container for the change actually happening. Well, as you said, you know, having a visual that pictures were 10,000 words today versus a thousand <laughs> words. And I think on no. your, in your book, you know, you speak about, you know, we were talking about change there, and I happened to flip to the page on side story, and in the side, 
I'd seen this formula before, but I think it's worth mentioning to the listeners and maybe many of you have heard it, but um, D times V times A is greater than yeah. R. Dissatisfaction times vision times action has to be greater than resistance. And I think that is kind of the change model no matter what. That's got to yep. be what drives the process in, in most of these. And David, I just want to tell our listeners that number one, um, if you have any idea, if you're a corporate owner or you're somebody in HR or you're working inside of a company and you're listening to this podcast with David and I, you certainly should go pick out one of David's four books and maybe just buy the whole set of them called Visual Consulting. We've been on with David Sibbett um, called Visual Consulting, Designing and Leading Change. This particular book, I think, is designed more for kind of somebody who's doing the visual consulting but let's face it, you may want to do it within your own organization. You may want to do it for some of your clients. You may want to just do it yourself. So the reality is, is it isn't just for the consultant the way I look at it, David. It's really for anybody who wants an overview of what goes on in the change process. Absolutely. Um, and it, it really is very, very fundamentally um, a good book to give you direction and guidance on how to do this. The other thing I want to tell them is go to the Grove. As you'd mentioned, you have some templates and I've gotten some of your templates. They're very, very beautifully done. Some people need to have that fire starter. And what David's really good at doing is helping you with the fire starter. He's got all kinds of templates. He's got things you can buy. He's got ways you can get involved with this content without you having to go and start this all up on your own so that you feel like you can't do it. And the other thing I would presume, David, and do you have this, do you have a resource section where if they wanted to find a graphic facilitator somewhere, um, you, you could guide them or direct them there so that they knew that they could find somebody competent in an area to help them with that, or you just tell them to go to, where would yeah, you tell them to the go? The best resource is to talk to Bobby Pardini at the, at the Grove. I mean, we, we are the hub for a lot of different people working this way. Okay. Um, we're, we're also forming a network called the Global Learning and Exchange Network, which now has about 60 practitioners in it. And it's a network that is really investigating the cutting edge of, method, of collaboration methods. And you can get at that through um, HTTPS blend.grove.com. And what was interesting about this book, Greg, is we had eight Zoom calls, two-hour Zoom calls, looking at every single chapter of this book with about a dozen of people in this consulting network. And um, it, it went through quite a few evolutions as we were sharing our collective experiences. So this uh, framework, which, by the way, the, the seven challenges of change are each dealt with. Each one has a separate chapter. And every one of the suggested support structures and interdynamics are described in those chapters. That this really is the fruit of a whole collective group of thinking about this. Which yeah, is, it's not uh, just you, Gisela, I could tell because you've actually uh, you've profiled other people and the gentleman from Germany, you've put in great little profiles yeah. there. You know, it is. They, it, what? Go ahead. Yeah, people can go to the Glen and actually connect up with a lot of these people. I mean, all Great. these people who are profiled are part I'll of that I'll make sure that we put those links into the blog entry here. 
And for my listeners, again, uh, we've been on with David Sibbett. We've been talking about the book called Visual Consulting, Designing and Leading Change. We'll put links to podcasts. We'll put links to The Grove. We'll also put links to The Glen inside of that. David, thank you so much for being on with me today and spending a few minutes with our listeners talking about uh, your book and Gisela's new book um, called Visual Consulting. Thank you, Greg. This podcast is brought to you by Simon Mainwaring, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of We First, a brand consultancy that works with top entrepreneurs and companies like Tom's, Virgin, and Timberland to bring their personal and company purpose to life in ways that drive business growth. He's also the inspiration behind the new, life-changing courses entitled How to Find Success Through Purpose and How to Accelerate Business Growth Through Purpose. Please listen to podcast number 679, where Simon shares actionable insights from top entrepreneurs and business leaders about how to define your personal and company purpose to unlock the success you deserve in life. Personal purpose is so important to your health and career. While company purpose is a key driver of business growth today as it empowers your brand to become a movement. If you're looking to create more clarity, success, and fulfillment in your life, and to accelerate your company's growth, then you're going to want to listen to podcast number 679 with Simon Mainwaring about defining and activating your purpose. Check out Simon's courses at www.wefirstworks.com. Thanks for listening.